going to get right into this. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, there's going to be a falling away. Uh, that can be taken in different uh, ways. I think it has a couple different meanings, a dual meaning. But uh, one of the falling away is certainly uh, what's being taught to children for the past 61 years now. 61 years ago, the United States of America and our schools were based on uh, biblical creation being true. Uh, most people thought the world had been judged with a flood that laid down all the stratified layers, making up the crust of the earth. But 61 years ago, enough people came convinced the Bible wasn't true. And we kicked creation and prayer of our schools. And for the 61 years now, we've been teaching our future generations. They evolved over millions of years of death and suffering without God. And here we are today. If you wonder what in the world's going on with this nation, read Romans 1, uh, verses 18 to 32, and keep 1963 in mind when we kick creation and prayer out and start teaching our generations they had evolved without God. You know, up till 1962, we taught creation and had daily prayer to, in our schools. And in 1962, our nation was number one in the world in science, math, engineering, economy, manufacturing, standard of living, on and on and on and on it goes. Then we kicked creation and prayer. We kicked God out of our public venues 61 years ago. And now we're how many trillions in debt that we admit to our schools, which were number one in the world, now ranked number in the bottom 15%. Our kids are being taught uh, America is a horrible, terrible place, and on and on it goes. That's evil fruit coming from an evil tree. So Pew and Barna Research both report that 80 to 90 percent of Christian children now leave the church by the age of 20. 80 to 90 percent. And the number one listed reason is Darwinian evolution. And the foundation of that, millions of years of time, putting death before Adam. So this morning, let's take care of the fairy tale of Darwinian evolution. Because all my teachings, I have 20-some-odd PowerPoint-driven messages. This is the only one I have on Darwinism, because after this, there's just nothing else to talk about. You know, the Bible tells us, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Operational science, real science, is a believer's best friend. Always has been, always will be. Operational science, real science, is knowledge derived from the observation of testable, repeatedly testable evidence. The evidence has to be there to test, study, and observe for the findings to truly be scientific in nature. That's real science. Most people today don't realize it, but over 80% of the branches of modern science were started by Christians to study God's creation. Whenever I speak on a public high school or college, I start out by mentioning this. It shocks people, shocks them. How many of the branches of modern science do you guys think were started by Christians? None. Try 82%. And it just opens the door and opens their minds to accept the truth. In fact, this Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist stated the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted if I had nothing to go on but the five books of Moses. There is no reason not to read God's word and believe the word of God. But in 2 Peter, it's foretold, and this is a great prophecy in the, in the New Testament, one I focus on quite a bit in our ministry. We're told uh, in verses 3 through 6, and I'll look, start out with 3 and 4 here, they'll come in the last days scoffers. Anyone ever run into a scoffer? They're fulfilling biblical prophecy, by the way. When they scoff at you, they say, thank you. Wow, you just proved the Bible's true. Wow. 
<laughs> and they're going to say all sorts of crazy things. And this is a huge one today. They're going to claim all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That is a process we know as uniformity. The big words uniformitarianism. It's kind of like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. But uh, yeah, it just means things are uniform. They look at the amount of sediment being taken out of the uh, Grand Canyon by the Colorado River today. They say based on uniformity, it's always been that. It took millions and millions of years for that river to carve out Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to Grand Canyon? For the last 20 some odd years, I leave, I've led uh, creation-based tours there. Take about a thousand people a year to the Grand Canyon. I can show you where the creation rock is, where the first flood layer lays right on top of creation rock, where you could put your thumb on creation rock and your fingers on the first of the judgment layers. Did you know when you're on the rim of the canyon, it's a mile from the rim to the river? There used to be two miles of layers above that point. Two miles. I'll, I'll try to talk about that later today. But uniformity is an important issue. This is what secular uh, science is based upon today, is beliefs in uniformity. And no global flood, by the way. Um, and that leads us to what's called historical science. Now, <clears throat> when I speak on college campuses and I mention historical science, I've, we've never heard of historical science. Well, of course, your professors don't want you to understand the difference, see? Historical science... Where real science, a Christian's best friend, is knowledge derived from the study of evidence, historical science are assumptions based on taking operational things. You can test, study, and observe today, like the rate of erosion from Grand Canyon, and assuming it's always been the same, like the Bible said, uniformity, saying, applying it to past non-observable events. I, a lot of biology and a great deal of geology is historical science, not operational science. Anytime someone starts out uh, 100,000 years ago, a million years ago, a billion years ago, that's historical science. Based on processes today always having been the same. So historical science are assumptions based on taking things we can study today and thinking it's always been the same and comparing them to past unobservable rates. It's the bias based on almost always uniformity that corrupt the non-observed assumptions of historical science. This is where there's controversy found between what the Bible says and supposed science. It's never operational science. Operational science is your best friend because the Bible's true and real science finds truth. Anytime there, there's, a, there's a conflict, I guarantee if you think about it, you realize, oh, that's, that's historical science, not something that's observed and observable today. No wonder the Bible says to avoid uh, profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. When you take operational science and you change God's word to fit with operational science, that's, that's your mistake. And if you change who Jesus Christ is to fit with atheist philosophies, you're getting into an area that's dangerous. Now, that word science is, is better translated knowledge. Any false knowledge. The Gnostics were using false knowledge. Today, there's a lot of false knowledge out there. You know, one of the great prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, this was given to the ancient Israelites, is that people would turn their back on God, saying to a stone, thou hast brought me forth. Well, come on. I mean, you know, that was the ancient Israelites. I mean, today we would never let anyone tell us we came from a stone, right? 
I mean, we're way too advanced, too smart, too technologically advanced to let anyone tell us we came from a stone. You would never let that happen to yourself or your children or grandchildren, right? Well, let's go to the modern textbooks and see what they're teaching. Kids, kids, earth is thought, believed, historical science, to have formed 4.6 billion years ago and science theorized make up tales that it started out as a big ball of hot rock and oceans formed as it rained on the stone for millions of years of time and poof here you are today <laughs> are they not teaching we came from a stone wow mind-boggling the bible is such an awesome work it, it's that's a fingerprint of god um in, in colossians 2 we're warned beware lest any man spoil you deceive you through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Watch out for man's philosophies. Don't take man's knowledge over God's word. I guarantee you if man's knowledge goes against God's word, it's historical science every single time. You know, and there's really only two philosophies out there. Either God created the world just like he says he did, or we evolved like secular atheists teach through our school systems. I live in Arizona near Sedona. It's the, known as the New Age capital of the world. And there are those groups in Sedona that say, maybe we're not here at all. Maybe we just think we're here. <laughs> but as a general rule, I don't really fall for that. So let's just focus on the two main uh, possibilities here, creation or Darwinian style evolution. I want to look at some of the top lies of Darwinian evolution taken right out of the textbooks. You know, number one is that life came from non-life. Darwin speculated maybe life started in a little warm pond. Some speculated, okay, that didn't work. Well, maybe a lightning strike started life because we see lightning strikes start life all the time, right? Um, and... Um, <clears throat> So that's spontaneous generation. Well, that's been refuted for over 100 years scientifically. So now they teach a biogenesis, which is basically a fancy form of spontaneous generation. They say, well, it didn't just poof, start from non-life, but there was a long period of chemical reactions and, and suddenly life came about. A biogenesis. Now, they can't test, study, or observe that. They can't show that happening in a lab. It's never been observed. Millions of scientists, knowing they make billions of dollars if they could show it, can't make it happen. But somehow we're supposed to believe that somehow life started on its own. But even a biogenesis requires spontaneous generation. Now, on the other hand, there's real science, a believer's best friend. Real science holds the law of biogenesis that life only comes from life. You can't get non-living matter to produce life. It can't happen. So you can't have a big bang that produces a big rock. Run our fourth big bang, by the way. Please, I will warn you, don't come up to me and say, God could have used the big bang, because I'm going to say, which one? They've all been scientifically refuted. Which, which one do you think he used? No, the big bang was to explain away God, not to explain God. Um, and we are on our fourth one. They've all been scientifically debunked, by the way. But the law of biogenesis says life only comes from life. So you can't have a big bang produce a big rock and it rain on the rock. And you're sitting there with this wet, sterile rock with no life on it. There's no way for life to start. They've got nowhere to go. So they're going to show kids lots of experiments that supposedly show uh, amino acids forming. But that has a lot of problems. Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. Uh, there are... 
200 or so amino acids out there, 20 specific ones needed for life. They all have to be right-handed with left-handed nucleotide sugars. There's no mathematical possibility of that coming along in a natural setting. They've come nowhere even near creating the amino acids needed in carefully designed structures. So the world's brightest scientific minds building on years and years of other people's research cannot make non-living matter produce life. Yet we're supposed to believe rocks and seawater did it on their own. But not today when you test, study, and observe it long ago and far away, evidently in the land of Oz. In fact, this Harvard professor and Nobel Prize winner stated modern biologists having reviewed the downfall of spontaneous generation, yet unwilling to accept creation, are left with nothing. So they've got no evidence. They've got nothing but their belief system. So they, they, start, they try to tell kids, have you ever heard of the simple cell? Well, life just started out as a simple cell. Well, in fact, this, this book tells kids all the many forms of life on Earth today are descended, stated as a scientific fact, are descended from a common ancestor found in a population of primitive unicellular organisms. How's a kid supposed to argue with that? They've just been told it's a scientific fact. Are they supposed to go out and buy their own electron microscope and spend 40 years studying it? No, they've just been taught that that has been proven, and so they believe it and eventually end up losing their faith. Well, since science is knowledge derived from the study of evidence, what evidence do they have of this unicellular organism changing into everything on the planet? Right here it says, no traces of those events remain. From the Big Bang to the rock to the poof moment where life started without God to the unicellular organism that developed into everything, there's not a shred of evidence. Just take this out of the science book, put it in a children's book, and start out once upon a time. I've got no problem with it. But when they're teaching this to children, and most all of you have been taught this yourselves, and there's no evidence, that's deceit at a level almost beyond human comprehension. So again, if there's no evidence, it's not science. Genetic information, when they discovered genetic information, that should have brought a screeching halt to the debate between creation and evolution. Genetic information, you're made up of an estimated 75 trillion cells, and um, really trillion and billion are beyond human comprehension, by the way, but I'm not, I don't have time to get into that right now. But Genetic information reads forwards and backwards. You have 3 billion base pairs of genetic information per cell times 75 trillion cells. Wow. And it reads forwards and backwards. The best human technology reads in one direction. If you want to know how difficult that is, we can't even do this with, with uh, computers. But when you get home or you have some, some time today, try to write a five-sentence paragraph that reads forwards and tells you how to operate a cell phone, but it reads backwards and tells you how to build a lawnmower. <laughs> Try it. That's what God did, but not with five sentences, billions of base pairs of information. One mathematician and molecular biologist calculated the odds of just one DNA chromosome forming in nature to be one in 10 to the 100 billionth power. Well, what kind of a number is that? Well, um, 1 in 10 to the 80th power is considered absolute zero. 1 in 10 to the 100 billionth. In Arizona, we have a weekly lottery. If you play the lottery every week, your odds of winning the lottery every week, 52 weeks a year for 27,000 years in a row is mathematically better than one DNA chromosome forming its own in nature. 
and they don't need one, they need trillions. Wow, this is why there's never been a single example of Darwinian evolution found. It never could have happened. In fact, and all of this genetic information is so complexly and well-designed, you could fit all the genetic information to code for all 8 billion people on Earth into a container the size of an aspirin with room to spare. Wow. You know, neo-Darwinism is that mutations create new and genetic information. Uh, we have copying uh, errors, mutations, they call them point mutations, Hox gene mutations. I'm just going to mention one real quickly here. Uh, one thing, though, is they, they're, neo-Darwinism, they had no way to create new information. So they're claiming that um, mutations cause the information. Because any, any of you gentlemen out here ever had a, been in the waiting room waiting for a grandchild or a child to be born? Were you really hoping and praying that they had mutations? Anybody? No, I didn't think so. Mutations are caused by the sorting or loss of genetic information, and they're usually disastrous. They are not what God used to create with. You know, if you understand the difference between micro and macro evolution, you'll want to debate with any Darwinist anywhere in the world. But it's very hard to get them to be nailed down on the uh, definitions. So they like, they like to keep the definitions open so they have a wide range to fool children and students students with. Macro would be Darwinian evolution. Uh, be a dog producing a non-dog. That's basically what they say. Some sort of a canine-like creature you know, eventually evolved into a whale, given, of course, the magic ingredient, which is what? Millions of years of time. Yeah. So there's never been an, an example of Darwinian macroevolution found that'll hold up to scrutiny. That's the reason they have to change their proofs every few years. They always get refuted. But uh, macro would be like a dog producing a non-dog or a dog producing a dog with the start of a blowhole of a whale or a flipper of a whale, anything. That would be Darwinian macro change. Uh, we've got several hundred, uh, hundreds, hundreds of millions of various species around the world. Never has a single example of Darwinian macro change been found. Um, micro, though, that's a different story. You could show millions of examples of micro. You could call this microevolution, microadaptation, microvariation. It's all the same thing. It's like saying I stepped out on the front porch, front deck, front patio. Micro changes are 100% scientific. It's just kinds bringing forth after their kind. Dogs will produce dogs, people, people, etc. And there can be change within that kind. There'd be variation within the kind, but never will one kind produce a different kind. Kinds only bring forth after their kind. That's a scientific fact. Millions and millions of examples could be shown if you wanted to. I have to say that or some scoffer will call me up. You say you could produce millions of examples. Anyways, I mean, why is it vital for Christians to understand that kinds only bring forth after their kind? Because ten times in the book of Genesis, we're told plants or animals will bring forth after their kind. And that's the only thing real science, a believer's best friend, has ever found. And we're losing up to 90% of our kids because of the lies out there. Again, these micro-adaptations are caused by the sorting or loss of genetic information. It's called genetic depletion. And this is how I've been showing people how to destroy Darwinism scientifically in four seconds flat for 20 years now. Start your watch. Gene depletion plus selection makes Darwinism impossible. 
Darwinism needs massive amounts of new and beneficial genetic information to change a, a bacteria cell that somehow overcomes the law of biogenesis and comes to life into everything on earth, including eagles, trout, and biology professors. Yet there's never been a viable example of how nature adds new and beneficial information. If you want to lose a debate with a Darwinist, say they cannot produce, mutations don't produce new information. If you want to win the debate, say mutations don't produce new and beneficial genetic information. A mix-up can mess, mess up the genetic information, and technically you could call that new information, but it has to be new and beneficial so it can grow and produce macro change. So students are given lots of examples of biblically correct micro-adaptations as kinds bring forth after their kind, but then they switch the discussion to Darwinian macro and fool kids by the millions, and adults, by the way, into thinking Darwinian evolution took place when there's never been a single example found. Wow, even Darwin only observed micro change. Finches producing what? Finches. Always ask yourself, okay, this started out as what? A bacteria? What did it end up as? A bacteria? Started out as a finch, ended up as a finch. Those are micro changes. Biblically correct micro-changes. Another Darwinian lie comes from the, the study of similarities, which is known as homology. Have you ever heard that you're 98% the same in your biochemistry as a chimpanzee? You guys ever hear that? Well, you know, um, uh, now real science, a believer's best friend, I've seen studies that say there's a 30% difference between chimp and human chromosomes and genetic information. So why are they still saying it's only a 1% or 2% difference? Well, that's just a lie in the textbook. You know, if genetic similarity proves our evolutionary past, they should teach we came from worms. Your biochemistry is 75% the same as that from some worms. Your biochemistry is 50% the same as that from a banana. <laughs> Anyone evolved from a banana? <laughs> was that? Was that? No? Oh, you're Okay. You got to be careful. You go to an auction, you know, don't, don't move the hands. But last time I was on a college campus, 500 students raised their hand to that question. And they were serious because they've been taught we've all evolved from a common ancestor, found a population of primitive unicellular organisms, which mean you are related to bananas. Well, I got home that night, Pastor Andy, and I checked my family tree online. It was a banana in the whole bunch. LAUGHTER Oh, I heard a couple groans over here. <laughs> I didn't find my sense of humor very appealing. Now, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kids are taught that ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. How, how, how's a kid going to argue with that? That means you go through your evolutionary stages in your mother's womb. That was invented... Oh, about 10 years after Darwin's book came out, they, they had the same problem then they have today. They couldn't find any evidence to back it up. So Ernst Haeckel started the trend, which is used today, of just making up evidence. He came up with these drawings that left to right are his drawings on top, uh, looking very similar, but the actual photos are below, not looking like his drawings. What he'd done was he took a human embryo in the, and made copies of the human embryo, and then label them fish, salamanders, turtles, etc., and came up with ontogeny, recapitulates phylogeny, that you go through your evolutionary stages while you're in your mother's womb. That was proven fraud, though, in the 1870s, still taught in colleges today. In fact, this college textbook tells students whether they develop into fish, amphibians, or humans, 
all vertebrate embryos start out very similar with gill slits and a long tail. You had gill slits and a long tail? Now, first of all, and then they go on and say, why would humans have embryos with gill slits and a long tail unless their ancestors had them? And kids lose their faith by the millions. And this has been going on for 60 plus years now. So that's where we stand today. But first of all, you never had gill slits or even slits. Those are folds in the skin that develop into organs in the throat and neck area. And you never had a tail. You know, why don't they show photos of their evidence? Oh, there's an old saying that goes like this. Darwinists are experts at drawing things that never existed to support their theory that never took place. Yeah, you look in a, in a PhD level biology book, it's all drawings. Yeah, if you take away their box of crayons, I mean, they're left with nothing. Wow. So they've got the uh, evolutionary trees of life, and at the base, someone typed in the word invertebrate ancestor. Why don't they show what it was? Well, first of all, they don't have cameras, evidently. And secondly, they wouldn't know what it was. And then someone took a box of crayons and drew nice, colorful lines connecting the word invertebrate ancestor to everything on Earth, and that's supposed to prove we evolved from this invertebrate ancestor. Is there any actual evidence right there? No. For that to be scientific in nature, each one of those colorful lines would be made up of thousands and thousands of fossils that slowly show the change from one to the other. They don't have any fossils that hold up to true scrutiny. They only have five or six. They run up the flagpole. And every 10 or so years, they have to replace those when they get refuted with different frauds. And it takes 10 or 15 years to get those out of the textbooks. No evidence there. In fact, they say that the uh, lobe-finned fish went extinct 325 million years ago. But before he went extinct, he, he walked around on the bottom of the ocean. He couldn't swim on his lobe fins. And I guess one day he got bored, so he walked out on land and became an amphibian. I mean, it's a nice story, but you know, the amphibian has feet, shoulders, claws, elbows, a central nervous system, a skeletal system, and a muscular system that, that fish don't have. And real science, a believer's best friend, knows of no way for nature to add that kind of information to a gene pool. Wow. And also, they say it went extinct 300 plus million years ago, but the lobe fin fish is found alive today. Not extinct for 300 million years. He doesn't swim around on the bottom of the ocean floor. He's a very good swimmer. <clears throat> and uh, the fossilized version, think about this, the fossilized version that they say is 300 plus million years old looks just like the living one. There's no change. Well, I thought things evolved over long ages of time. Now, you should all know that all those stratified layers laid down by water were laid down by water about 4,500 years ago, not slow, uniform processes, as the Bible foretold they would do, by the way. But no evidence in the, in the fossil record. Now, hang on to that. The lobefin fish, no change. Now, on April Fool's Day, appropriately, uh, back in 2006, they... they uh, announced Tetalic Rosea, which is now one of, the, one of the messiahs of Darwinian evolution. And the New York Times, on the day that they released it, said, think about what this says. It's still a fish exhibiting changes that anticipate the beginnings of wrists, elbows, and shoulders. Think about what that said. It doesn't have the changes that anticipate wrists, elbows, and shoulders. It, it has changes that only anticipate. They don't have the changes. They just anticipate. How do you anticipate random chance mutations that are going to change the nubby bone and the skeletal system, muscular system, central nervous system, muscles, etc., of wrists, elbows, and shoulders? 
It's got nothing. It's got this nubby bone in its side. Keep, keep that in mind. Let's go back to uh, the lobe fin fish. See, Tetalic and that lobe fin fish, it had no change. The lobe fin fish has that nubby bone in its side too. And it never changed from anything but that nubby bone. So why are they telling kids the nubby bone in Tetalic changed into elbows, wrist, shoulder? Do you see the fraud involved? Wow. So it gets worse. <laughs> Stay with me on this. This one even shocked me. But realize uh, there's other fish like catfish. Some of them have nubby bones. No evolutionary change found in any of them, yet Tetalic supposedly is a messiah for Darwinian evolution. And if you think it's just me saying there's no evidence of Darwinian evolution, they actually have a theory to explain why they've got what? No evidence. They've got no evidence because of punctuated equilibrium. Don't you know anything? What's punctuated equilibrium mean? Well, instead of, of evolution happening over a long period of time, there was a spurt of evolution and a long period with no change. It's called stasis. And a spurt of evolution and a long period with no change. And because of the way it happened so quickly, it spurts. No evidence was captured in the fossil record. Wow. So I was doing a debate with a, a Darwinist a few years ago, and at one point he had mentioned that uh, you know, evolution happens too fast to leave evidence in the fossil record. And when I asked him, why don't we see evolutionary change happening today, he said, well, because it takes millions of years. It's too slow. <laughs> so, so I, you know, God led me to promptly jump on that one. I, so I kind of look like I am like, oh, I'm kind of fused. He said, no, are you starting to understand? And I said, well, well, no, now I'm really confused. When I asked you why we don't have evidence in the fossil record, you said it happens too fast to leave evidence behind. And when I asked you why we don't see it today, you say it takes millions of years too slow to see in the present. Is it too fast or too slow? Either way, you've got no evidence and you just admitted it. So which is it? And the other guy looked at me and said, well, this is my belief. But he said, that's what I believe. So, well, that's between you and God, but I suggest you humble yourself to the, to the real science. Yes. Because real science is a believer's best friend. You can't have no evidence and call it science. Mind-boggling. So keep, keep thinking about uh, that nubby bone in the little fin side. Here's a, here's a modern textbook showing nice drawings, by the way, of the forelimb of a human, the forearm of a, of a cow or a pig or a dog, the flipper of a whale. And it says, hey, they all have two bones in the forelimb, proof they've evolved from a common ancestor. And who is the common ancestor they're teaching college students we all evolved from? The lobe fin fish. Wow. <laughs> which has no evolutionary change between the fossil record and the living ones. No evolution found, and they're teaching college students, and they're buying it because, yes, I can stand here and make this look silly very quickly. Once again, this is the only message I have on Darwinism, but I'm not there in those classrooms, and those kids are getting slaughtered. You know, I always tell kids, and I'll tell you guys too, any argument of similarity, similar biochemistry, similar bone structure, is a better argument for a similar designer. You have similarities because you have the same designer. I drive a Ford pickup truck. My next-door neighbor has a Ford van. Their dashboards are identical. It's not because they evolved from a moped. <laughs> it's because they have the same designer, right? Wow. Similarities are proof of similar designer. And that's the biggest proof they'll throw out at kids are similarities. Please remember, similar designer. Okay, let me, uh, let me switch over to the hominids, the ape men, the supposed 
closest link between ape and man. Here's a textbook showing humans connected to sponges and worms. And what's their proof? Oh, a nice red line. What could you, more could you want than proof from, with a nice red line, right? Oh, where's the fossil evidence? Where's the, the change within the living species we see today? Well, there is none. It never happened. Gene depletion and selection makes Darwinism impossible. By the way, natural selection, there's no selector standing there picking things out. It's God's quality assurance program. Things lose too much information, and God programmed to die off so they don't corrupt the entire gene pool. Gene depletion plus selection, God's QA program is a better uh, way to say it, uh, prevents Darwinian change from even being possible. So let's look at a couple of the famous ape men, the hominids, the closest supposed link between ape and man. I'll mention one other thing, because people ask me all the time, hey, Russ, if we still have apes and we have people, how come the apes are still there if we evolve from apes? Oh, well, here's, what, here's what the Darwinists will say. We didn't evolve directly from apes. There was a common ancestor like this computer, and apes went one way and humans went the other. That's, that's what they'll say. But then don't they spend all their time trying to show you fossils that say we did evolve from apes? See, they're talking out of both sides of their mouths. Don't, don't hesitate to point that out to them because most of them, are, they're just misled. They're just repeating what they were told in our secular schools and media and, and unfortunately society today. But the first major messiah for Darwinian evolution was Piltdown Man, found in the early, around 1910 to 1912, and uh, finally refuted in the late 1950s, 45 plus years later. But what they found was a, uh, uh, a, a skull that had human features and ape features. And in the textbooks around the world went Piltdown Man, misleading not millions, billions of people. It misled so many people that even after it was proven a fraud, we finally kicked creation and prayer out of our schools, started teaching our children they evolved without God. Um, but then in the late 50s, it was finally shown and proven that these jokers had taken the skull cap from a human, the jawbone from an orangutan, filed them down so they fit together, acid treated both sides, and buried them in a rock quarry in Piltdown, England, and came along two years later and dug up Piltdown Man and spent the rest of their lives as world-famous Darwinists speaking on any college campus around the world they chose on a total fraud and misled billions of people into rejecting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. On a total fraud. Nebraska man was used as proof for Darwinism. All they found in Nebraska man was a piece of a broken tooth. But Darwinists can be pretty creative when they want to. I mean, they, they reconstructed Nebraska man, his family, the tools they would have worked with, etc., from that piece of a broken tooth. It was later proven that tooth came from an extinct peccary, an extinct pig. Yeah, it turned out this was the real Nebraska man right here. <laughs> so, for the last 50 years, uh, along with Titalic, this is really their, their ultimate messiah, has been Lucy. You guys heard of Lucy? Well, all that was found of Lucy was maybe 40% of a skeleton. And they said, well, we know it's an ape becoming a human because the thigh bone, the, the femur, angles to the knee, and humans have angle thigh bones. They forgot to mention that almost all tree-dwelling apes have angle femurs. <laughs> no evolution there. And they said, and that knee in question, by the way, is interesting. They said the knee is slightly bigger than a normal ape's knee. 
proven it's becoming a human. If you took the knee joint of everybody in this room, they'd be different sizes. It doesn't prove anything. Oh, and the knee in question is really interesting. It was found a mile away and 230 feet deeper in the rock layer. That was Lucy's knee. I want to see the airplane that hit that monkey. He must have been going <laughs> about 700 miles an hour right through the treetops, boy. Boom, there goes the knee that way. Whoa. Wow. Think about this from 1987. Anatomists have concluded Lucy is not a link between ape and man and did not walk upright like a human. Yet here's a drawing, nice drawing, of Lucy in a school textbook walking upright like a human and talking on a cell phone. Now what, are, what are the odds of that? Wow. Australopithecus afarensis is a scientific name. They found other such fossils. They have curved toes and fingers so they can grab onto tree limbs. It's just an ape, an odd ape. Think about it logically with millions of various monkeys and apes having lived and died over the last 500 years alone. Why does finding a monkey bone prove Darwinian evolution? Doesn't it just prove that when monkeys die, they leave their bones behind? The Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Doesn't mean they're stupid. It means they've been fooled. I know brilliant people that get fooled. We can all be fools. There's a reason we need to compare what we hear to God's word, by the way, especially in this day and age. And they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God, which I think today is his creation, into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I think they're going to change creation in the fairy tale of Darwinian evolution. Now, these verses are talking about idolatry. The highest form of idolatry is to think you're the most evolved. You are your own God. We call that humanism today. And they own the system. And they teach their faulty, fraud-filled, religious-based belief as if it were science. And we're losing 80 to 90% of our kids. And this is the only message I even have on Darwinism. It's that easy to destroy. Wow. Jesus said that Moses wrote of me. And Moses is used to lay down the foundation for the gospel message in Genesis 1 through 3 specifically. This is where we're told God gave us a perfect creation. Have you ever had someone ask you, uh, either sincerely or skeptically, how can there be a loving God in this world full of death and suffering, right? Now, I, I, I get that a lot. I mean... Someone will say, so your loving God loves and cares about all of you, of everybody, right? And I'll say, yes, that's God. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head, which I never thought was that impressive. But <laughs> anyways, yeah, it's like, <laughs> here's the creator of genetic information. And the only thing they can throw out is the numbers of hairs on your head. Come on. Anyways, yes, our, our, our God is a loving God. Well, how can there be a loving God in this world full of death and suffering? You guys have heard that question. Let me give you that answer. If you leave here with nothing else this morning, please know how to biblically answer this. Most Christians have lost the answer. Now, here's the answer. God gave us a perfect creation. But see, what happened to it was Adam's first sin. We call that Adam's original sin. It brought on the curse, allowing death to enter. And that's why we live in a world full of death today. But we have a loving God. And there's a biblical answer. But it should go further than that. You see, that original sin not only brought in death, but it separated us from God. This required us to be redeemed with him. 
Well, see, now we've got a really big problem. You see, we can't redeem ourselves with God. You have to be 100% righteous, sinless to stand before God, and we're all born with a sin nature. We are all sinners. Have you ever said something that wasn't true even once? No, that makes you guilty of being a liar. When you stand before a righteous judge, you'll be found guilty. You ever taken something that didn't belong to you, even, even a sticky note or a paper clip? I took a bottle of water this morning. I, I didn't have time to ask for it, Pastor Andy. I'm sorry. I just, I just took it. So when I stand before a righteous judge, I'm going to be found guilty of being what? A thief. We are all guilty. So how loving is God? He's so loving that despite our sin that brought in death and suffering and separated us from him, he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die on a cross. His shed blood covering our sin so we can put on his righteousness and stand before God in total righteousness, wearing the wash robe that Christ gave us through his shed blood. You know, and Moses also told us God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And the Lord said, I will destroy man. It repents me. I made them. And eventually he judged man's sin with a flood that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven. This is the entire linchpin in the war of worldviews. And most of, on our side don't even think about it. The global flood is the linchpin in the war of worldviews. Now, and Pastor Andy said, I could be totally honest with you guys today. If God's word were true, and there really been this flood that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven, a global flood, the evidence should be overwhelming. It should be mind-boggling that anyone could argue with it. I mean, I would think the, the fountains of the deep were erupting. I'll talk about that later today. But it eroded. They eroded the top about two miles of the Earth's original crust. And these trillions of tons of sediments are rolling around the, the earth in those waters being separated by grain size, weight, and density. Have you ever seen a miner with a pan? He scoops up some sediments and sloshes it back and forth. Well, the water separates the sediments in his pan by grain size, weight, and density. Gold being the densest falls to the bottom. Well, on a global scale, these strata, these, excuse me, sediments are being stratified. They're being separated by grain size, weight, and density over the first 150 days of the flood as the fountains of the deep erupted. As the water started to bathe over the second 150-day period, they started laying those sediments back down. But now instead of a big brown conglomerate, as they formed slowly and uniformly over millions of years of time, they would be separated. So you'd have all sand grains together, all mudstone grains together, all shale together, etc. They'd be stratified layers making up the crust of the earth. And what we find today scientifically is the outer crust of the earth averages a mile deep of sedimentary layers of rock stratified out by grain size, weight, and density. And those layers are full of billions of dead things that were drowned and buried so quickly they didn't have time to rot away or get eaten by scavengers. We call those things fossils today. Exactly what would be there if the word of God were true. And you see the word of God is true, word for word and cover to cover. Back to that great prophecy in 2 Peter 3, they're going to claim uniformity, and those last day scoffers are going to be willingly ignorant. They're going to choose to be ignorant that by the word of God, the world that was being overflowed with water perished. Let that sink in. 1900 to 2000 years ago, we were told in the last day scoffers would claim uniform processes and deny the global flood. 
Secular geology for the past 170 years has been based on two beliefs, uniform processes and no global flood. Based on the belief there was never a global flood, they came up with a geologic time scale saying those layers form uniformly like they do today, about one inch per thousand years. It's always been the same uniformity. There was never a global flood, which was explain how these form quickly. And this puts death before Adam. They say we evolved through millions of years of death and suffering. Yeah, man's sin didn't bring in death. Death brought you into the world. Death is the hero to every old earth belief. And if you've been saying, oh, it was just a local flood, please uh, get my book, Cost. It will help you tremendously because that puts death before Adam. And once you put death before Adam, you can't say Adam's sin brought death into the world. Do you see that? And that's the reason these foundations are being destroyed. No wonder Jesus said, if you believe not Moses' writings, how shall you believe my words? The calling of our ministry is to teach about creation, evolution, and age of the earth issues and to provide a reason for the hope that's in the heart of all true believers and all true seekers. We do this for our various messages and PowerPoint teachings. I have about 20 some odd messages. We have these all on DVDs and thumb drives. I do not copyright my DVDs or thumb drives. If you get our information, please make a million copies. Give them to everybody you know. Ask them to make copies. Let's get some information out there. We're losing up to 90% of our kids. And of the 10% that stay, 9 out of 10 believe in some form of an old earth belief. We have one uh, thumb drive and DVD that only has my top five teachings, starting with the one you just saw, which actually has a few extra things in it. And it's in the very order I would give anybody to make a difference in their lives. And again, make all the copies you want. My book, Cost, uh, caused... Uh, one Christian school to form an online uh, class based on my book. It covers the top 10 older beliefs, top 10 evil fruit, number one being Darwinism, top 10 evil fruits of Darwinism. You can see my wife back there and get more information. We have a couple of coloring books based on Noah's Ark and dinosaurs and endowed by their creator. In fact, I have a thumb drive back there. It has all that, plus three other books I wrote. It has over a thousand items. If you want to get sick and tired of me, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Ask my wife. She'll attest to that. And our grand staircase tours. Uh, I don't have time to go into that right now. But uh, I hope you'll join us. We have one that still has seats left. It's uh, June 26th to the 30th. You can find that through compass.org. But science, when you look at science in the Bible, you'll see that we can trust that God gave us a perfect creation that was corrupted by Adam's original sin that separated us from God, requiring our redemption. And so he sent Jesus Christ to suffer and die on our behalf. You can put your trust in that word. You can put your trust in every word of the Bible, word for word and cover to cover. And I suggest we do just that. Let me in my part with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Every dear soul that's here today, I hope and I pray this information will be eye-opening and that we'll get this information to others and change the face of this nation and the direction we are going. I uh, praise you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and ask you to bless the remainder of this day. In Jesus' great name I do pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen.